I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. It is a great honor and a privilege to get a chance to, to speak today. I'm so thankful uh, for Pastor Brandon, for his leadership in our church, and I, I know that it's a high honor to be entrusted uh, with uh, the pulpit that I know he serves so well and takes so much time and attention towards. And so I'm thankful to get a chance uh, to share with you today as Pastor Brandon uh, had, had sort of brainstormed through this stewardship emphasis and uh, as I, I kind of walk through the life group side of that, and as we connected together in terms of where the, the uh, direction would be, this is the passage that he chose today. And so he chose it, and I'm speaking on it. That's kind of a tenuous situation sometimes uh, to have somebody else choose your passage. But I'm thankful. I've been really uh, blessed in studying this week uh, on this. I hope, uh, if for no other reason than the power of the, the Word of God, that you'll be blessed today as well. We come to probably the most under the radar our parable that Jesus ever tells uh, in his time. It is perhaps uh, the most misunderstood and sort of just um, perhaps just, just not always focused on parable in Jesus' ministry, the parable of what may be called the dishonest or the unrighteous manager if you have a heading in your Bible. But I'd like today for us to begin in verse 1, Luke chapter 16 beginning with verse 1. Jesus also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses." And so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who's dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, would you do the work that only you can? in the power of the Holy Spirit in taking your word, causing it to take root, to be sown and to grow in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Father, today we just ask that because of the faithfulness of your promise that your word does not return void, Father, we just ask that in that promise you would speak as only you can through the power of your word. Lord, we thank you. We, uh, we praise you. We just ask that we could be found faithful 
and shrewd and willing and wise. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the movies of my generation that uh, was very popular was a movie called Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams. Robin Williams plays a teacher, an English teacher at a uh, a private school for boys, and so he's there, and with a 17- and 18-year-old class of literature students, he begins his semester by taking them down to the glass panels that show all the pictures from previous years that had, uh, you know, been in that school. That school had been around for a long time, so as they stood before these glass panels, there were pictures of football teams and basketball teams and rugby teams from reaching back all the way to 100 years or so. These black and white photos of these little boys in long, you know, uh, outfits and overalls and otherwise. And so Robin Williams brought them before the, uh, the windows and he caused them to look at all of these pictures. And he says, boys, I want you to just look at these pictures and think about how all these guys were 17 years old and 18 years old, just like you are today that they're full of life, that they're full of dreams, that they're full of hopes. They think themselves to be invincible just like you do. And then he went into sort of the poetry text for the day, and he said, have you ever heard a Latin term called carpe diem? Some of you might know what that means in English. Seize the day. And he got them to think about the reality that all the boys that they were looking at in those photos with big dreams and long futures ahead because of the length of time that had passed, that all those boys' times had come to a close. And so the reminder that time is limited should spur them on to seize the day. I remember being at a youth camp when I was in high school, and God used a song that was there that was on the album that we got to take home from camp. Kids' albums were like the internet that you could take in your car, and you could play it whenever you wanted, and there were no commercials. It was wonderful. And so uh, we had this album that when we got a chance to take it home and play it, the song went like this. I know a doctor, a fine young physician, who left his six-figure job for a mission position. He's healing the sick in an African clinic. He works in the dirt and writes home to the cynics. Seize the day. Seize whatever you can, because life slips away just like hourglass sand. Seize the day and pray for grace from God's hand and that nothing will stand in your way. Seize the day. Now, my premise to you this morning would be that this parable is about seizing the time, awakening to what God has called us to do, and being found faithful in that moment. As I said before, probably the most well-known phrase to sort of summarize this passage is the parable of the dishonest manager. Now, I have to confess to you at the beginning that I like the translation of that word, adikaios, not as dishonest as the best translation, but actually unrighteous, and I'm not alone. The New American Standard, the King James, the New King James, the Holman, and the Christian Standard Bible all agree with me. While a dishonest can be a translation, I think unrighteous in encompasses more. And my argument to you would be not that this manager, and I don't think it's Jesus' argument either, when the master in this parable refers to him as dishonest, it doesn't mean that he's dishonest in the way that he is sparked into action. It means that he is unrighteous in what he has done leading up to that point to not be faithful to his master's calling. 
And so here we see a passage of a man, a manager, a steward, the same word is used here that's often translated steward in the Bible, someone who's been entrusted with wealth that is not his. And this situation is still with us, isn't it? Because when we watch the news, it's not too long stretches of time in between. You'll see a celebrity say, I trusted my financial manager, I trusted my accountant, and they stole $5 million from me, I found out sometime later. This idea of unfaithful managers, unfaithful stewards is something that in 20 centuries has not left our sphere of understanding. The manager, the one who's been placed in charge of his master's wealth, of his master's means, and he's been unfaithful uh, in that. So I got six things this morning. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Number one is this. We are all managers of what is not ours. We are all managers of what is not ours. I remember hearing a story some years back of a man who late in life had put a lot of wealth into a car that he was fixing up, big old car, one of these old cars that had lots of space, and he got it to be shiny red, and he got all the tires and the hubcaps and the everything else, everything else you want to upgrade and make look wonderful in a car. He poured his whole life into getting that car to be as shiny and wonderful, and as he got towards the end of his life, he said, boy, I've invested so much into this car, it'd be a shame to just leave it here behind for somebody else. I'm going to make arrangements so that not only am I carried to my grave in this car, I want to be buried inside of this car in the ground. One of these kind of eccentric folks that had the means to do that, right? And he said, the last thing I want to do is I want the hearse uh, or the, the funeral procession to lead through town. I want to have one last parade where everybody can see this shiny car all the way to the cemetery. And sure enough, the day came where his funeral was happening. And for those who had come, for this well-known man, a man of a lot of means, they were watching as the you know, pre-bought parade of people went down the center of the street. And sure enough, this shiny red car out at the forefront being led you know, to where it was going to go. Well, there was a couple young boys who lived in the city back down a little alley in an apartment, and they came out to see what all the commotion was about. And they looked, and they saw this big parade, and they saw all these people. Then they saw that shiny red car going down the street. One of the little boys looked over at the other boy and said, boy, that's living. I'll give you a second on that one. You can't take it with you. We are managers of what is not ours. Our time is not ours. Our gifts are not ours. Our resources, our treasures are not ours. That people, and I heard it said this week, that character goes into eternity, but not means, not the things we would seek to cling to. The manager in this story has had his master's wealth so long that he's come to believe that it's his wealth because he's not treating it with the diligence that the master has called him to. And it's a reminder for each of us that we are all managers, we are all stewards, we are all temporary protectors of what has been given to us. Number two, you and I are often in need of a wake-up call. You and I are often in need of a wake-up call. I love the honesty of this parable. That as the message comes in verse 2, as the master reaches out to this man, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. We sort of, you know, see this as a written note that makes its way to him, and the manager starts to brainstorm, doesn't he? What does he start to think? I'm getting too old to dig in the ground. I don't have any other options. 
Where am I going to go other than this job? I'm too proud to beg and I'm too weak to dig. What in the world am I going to do? And so he's spurred into action and he moves and he does something. You know, you and I in our Christian life often are in need of a wake-up call, aren't we? All of a sudden calling, being called out of our sleep. I remember John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. If you've ever read that book, John Bunyan's character comes down from the cross where his load of sin falls off and rolls away, one of the most beautiful pictures in literature. But then as he leaves the cross and he begins on his way of the road of salvation, as he begins to walk, he looks over and he sees three men laying down asleep and in chains. Their names were Simple, Sloth, and Presumption. And right on the other side of the cross... They had become so peaceful, so apathetic in where they were to not continue moving to where God had called them that they'd laid down and fallen asleep and stayed asleep for some time, so much so that they were chained and they were bound beyond their understanding. And the warning comes down from Bunyan in that to say that for believers, for us, the scriptural principle is shown again and again that you and I often in our Christian life have to be called out of being asleep and called back into service for the master the way that we are supposed to. We're reminded again and again that we're not always exactly where we need to be, how we need to be, doing what we need to be doing, and so God in His grace draws us out and brings us into a realization that it's time for a wake-up call. You think of that great scriptural uh, calling, wake up, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. That's not only a calling for unbelievers to know the truth of Christ and salvation, it's a calling for believers to be awakened out of their slumber into a realization of where Christ is leading. And so you and I are often in need of a wake-up call. When I was little, I didn't have a very easy time getting up. I say little. When I was a teenager, I didn't like getting up in the morning. My mother used to come in and sing a song to us when we were little, and she started having to sing it to me in high school. It goes something like this. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. We're all in our places. And I hated that song. Well, my brother, my younger brother, learned I hated that song too. So oftentimes before my mother could get to me, he'd come in, stand at the door, and start singing that song, Good morning to you. All the while, I've got one hand holding the pillow over my head and reaching for something else to throw, you know, my other hand. We don't like to wake up at times. But nevertheless, the call comes down for each of us in our hearts and our lives that there's a redirect that's needed from the power of the Holy Spirit for where we are walking versus where we should be. And it's not a scary thing as a believer to recognize there's a need of a wake-up call, but it is a frightening thing to not respond to that wake-up call. And so number three, Jesus wants to draw us back to the people. Jesus wants to draw us back to the people. I can sort of picture this manager having a nice office, an office that he's equipped with all the finest things so that his days in the office are as enjoyable as they could be. The only problem, the main job he has that involves the people and being able to get the resources that he's called to, he's left off the interaction with people so that now he's distant in a way that he shouldn't be. You know, Jesus wants to draw us back to the people. Many of us are familiar with Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, aren't we? Ebenezer Scrooge sitting the night of Christmas Eve with his single bowl of soup as he's awaiting, you know, going down for the night and waking up to Christmas, who for him is a day like any other, and it doesn't make any difference. 
Ebenezer Scrooge is then visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley, and Jacob Marley comes in to that room, and Scrooge notices that Marley is covered in chains, and he's bound with weights, and Marley begins to unload all of the things that have led to him being chained, even now having his life come to a close. And Scrooge, much like the Pharisees in this story, begin to hear the words that Marley's saying and feel condemned himself. And he says to Marley, but you are simply a man of business. What, what can really be made against you because you simply went about your business as a man of business? And Marley said this, mankind should have been my business. And I wonder for us, in all the blessings of life, would the same call resound? Would Jesus Christ step into our own hearts and lives and call us in the same way back to the people, back to those who need the gospel, back to those who need the care and the concern and the truth that He's given us the means to be able to give, back to the relationships, the contacts that we have even now? Jesus wants to draw us back to the people. It's often thought that what the manager does is actually dishonest. I don't believe that's the case. As I said before, I believe the dishonest or the unrighteous is referring back to his actions leading up to that, but he then becomes pragmatic. He becomes shrewd, as the master would call him, and he sets to work in trying to get these unpaid invoices to have some positive movement there. Any of you small business owners or work in small business, maybe even in larger business, somewhere probably in those offices is a stack of unpaid invoices, isn't there? I don't know if we'll ever get these folks to pay us. I don't know if anything will ever be done. And unless somebody chases after it, probably they never will be paid. And so this man who had been doing nothing and doing nothing and doing nothing now does something. And there's some discussion for things that we won't know until we get to heaven. And there are folks who say, well, maybe what he removed was the interest that people owed. Maybe what he removed was his own commission for what they owed, and they're just charging what the master is going to be paid. Well, Jesus doesn't say what the specifics are, so I don't think we need to get lost in the weeds this morning. What we do need to see is that someone who was unfaithful, unrighteous, and doing nothing, hears the call of the master, wakes up, moves, and does something. And there's too many of us who say, well, I'll never be able to collect the full price. I'll never be able to do all that this person can do. I'll never be able to accomplish all that this person or that person can do. I'll never be able to have it be perfect or be good in the way that it should be. So I just don't know if I'm willing to move. And I tell you that the call of Christ would come to each one of us to say, awaken, go to the people. Be diligent in what God's called you to Jesus wants to draw us back to the people. And number four, Jesus honors his children making up for lost time. Aren't you thankful? Jesus honors his children making up for lost time. That the story of this parable is not that when the master finds out of the unrighteousness of his manager, that he goes to him, throws him in a dungeon, and the story is over. But what's found instead is that when this man acts and awakens and moves and does things to the best of his ability, it's his master's mercy that comes down to him. Now, I don't know about you. You probably don't need that. I need that. The mercy of the master when there's a need for us to awaken. And what we can't perhaps, you know, change is whatever led up to that point, but it's time to be diligent and it's time to move forward that Jesus himself uses this example of earthly wealth 
to say, no, everything that you've been given should have a kingdom focus. And so use for yourself unrighteous wealth, not just for yourself, but do that in a way that's going to love and lead to kingdom things for not only you, but for others. And so whether it's the wealth of time, the wealth of money, the wealth of resources and energy, all of those areas, be faithful to have it not just impact you, but others. You know, we can only make up for lost time so much, but all time someday will be lost. And so we're called to make the most of it and to recognize that when we seek to follow the Lord, Jesus honors his children making up for lost time. The master, even in this parable, calls him shrewd. Do you know what shrewd means? I think shrewdness it maybe could be defined this way. Shrewdness is wisdom under pressure. That's when you don't have long and you don't have the perfect and ideal circumstances to act. You don't have the stretch of time that you would want, but in the time that you have and the realization that something must happen now, you're willing to try to go the best you can and to do what can be done. And that's how the manager reacts. And Jesus honors that in his statements, the master in the story uh, representing in many ways the Lord honors what happens with the manager. Jesus goes on to say, one who is faithful, verse 10, in a very little is also faithful in much. One who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? And so Jesus says, when there's little, that impacts the whole. Whoever's been faithful in a little will be faithful in much, dishonest in a little, dishonest in much. And we see the next point here, number five, that I would say Jesus is calling us to start in the small things. If there are those of you here today that say, well, I don't, I don't know how I, need to be, how I need to awaken. I don't know what grand things the Lord wants to accomplish. Well, do you know what small things would honor Him? Do you know how the conversations that follow the rest of this day with your own family, do you know how the interactions that you will have, the ways that you will uh, you, you know, be in relationship and be intentional with those around you, are you willing to start in the small things? Jesus speaks towards devotion. He speaks towards hatred and love and faithfulness and unfaithfulness, honesty and dishonesty. And he says those small areas reflect what's going to happen in the large areas. And we can start in the small things. And number six, and lastly today, the tighter that we hold on to Jesus, the looser our grip on all else becomes. The tighter we hold on to Jesus, the looser our grip on all else becomes. Verse 13, by far the most well-known verse of this passage, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Elsewhere we see you cannot serve both God and mammon, whether this is simply wealth monetarily or wealth as in stuff, riches, wealth, all the grandeur of this world. You cannot serve both. And so there's this way in which as I take the Lord Jesus' hand, there's going to be a loosening of my grip on the other side to say, you know what? All of the rest of this is not so important. In light of all that is eternal, all things that are temporal become less important, less meaningful, less value-driven. And me holding on to Jesus' hand tighter is going to mean that I loosen my grip on everything else. 
In comparison to that, we see verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money. What a difficult aside to be given about them. People who had memorized the Old Testament by heart. Now, I know about you, but I haven't done that. And then what would be written by them, about them would be that they were lovers of money. Would it be a frightening thing to see how your and my life could be summarized in a handful of words in the pages of Scripture? But the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. The message of the cross, the message of the doctrine of justification, if you've ever used that word before, know that word. What does it mean when we talk about Christ? Justification for us. It means because of Jesus' actions, we can be found worthy before the Father, so there's no need for us to spend our time and our lives trying to justify ourselves because Jesus Christ has justified us in our place. Aren't you thankful? So if our job was to somehow prove to everybody else who we were, or somehow lead everything on what other people think or what other people go down, whatever it is. You remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Jesus tells that parable on the heels of a man whose Scripture says, Seeking to justify himself, he asked, and who is my neighbor? He asked that question so that Jesus would say, Well, of course, everybody's not your neighbor. But Jesus doesn't do that. And so in the same way as Jesus would challenge us in the areas of our time, our treasure, our talents, we might be quick to say, well, yeah, but this, well, yeah, but that. How would the gentle hand of the Lord Jesus reach out and say it's time to awaken? It's time to move forward in what I would call you to. It's time to make a difference eternally instead of simply focusing on the here and the now. When I was in high school, there was a movie that was released, a movie about the Holocaust called Schindler's List. The main character, Liam Neeson, plays a, a guy who uh, I've never seen the entire movie, not recommending that movie necessarily. It was a movie that uh, was about the Holocaust, a graphic movie, as you would imagine, uh, for that purpose. Some years later, I actually was able to see the concluding scene of that movie, and so I share that this morning just for simply a means of thinking through uh, the last point that we look at today. Oscar Schindler, who was in charge of a factory for the German war effort during World War II, had employed scores upon scores of Jewish people who otherwise would have been sent to concentration camps, and their lives would have been snuffed out. And the ending scene in that movie shows Liam Neeson standing around all these folks as the war is ending, as the allies are making their way, and Schindler is going to flee and get away. And so the battle is over, the war is over, all is done, but what he can look around and see are all those who have been saved because of his own efforts. And Schindler, who himself had a number of character issues, looks around and he's able to see those lives that have been spared. They give him a gift, but something that you wouldn't expect starts to happen. And Schindler looks down at a pen that's in his pocket. This pen's made of gold. If I had sold this pen, two more could have been saved. I could have bought two more lives for this pen. I never use this pen, I don't need this pen. Two more people could be alive today if I'd only given up this pen. 
He looked over at his car and he said, why do I have this car? I don't need this car. People drive me everywhere I need to go. I could have sold this car. 10 people's lives could have been spared. They could be here alive today. Begins to look at the jewelry on his hand, his ring, his watch, and one by one, all of those are identifiers for how he chose something else over the lives of those that he could have saved. And the point comes home powerfully in the scene and I can't help but when I've seen that, think about eternity. One of these days, surrounded by those who are in the faith, God forbid there would be a moment for you or for me that we stand there and we think, I poured so much into this. And if only I'd set this aside for the sake of the gospel. If only my emphasis had been here instead of there. If only I had treasured this less in order to treasure this more. How many more could be here? How many of those could be a part of the congregation today? That this has to do with eternity, it has to do with life and death, it has to do with all that is most dear and the only thing going into eternity apart from the Lord Jesus Christ are the souls of men and women. And so for us the challenge comes down, Lord, may I not be asleep, Lord, may I be faithful. Father, thank you that even when there needs to be a redirection that you honor the obedience of your children in the waking up when we seek to move. Father, if I have to just start in the small things, will you allow me to hold on to Jesus' hand more tightly? May you loosen my grip on everything else. And Father, may you do the work that only you can for eternity and for your glory and for what matters and not what doesn't. Would you pray with me? Father, it is an unlikely parable where we perhaps see ourselves today. Lord, we know that there is no way on this side of heaven for us to walk perfectly. We cannot do that. And so, Father, may today not be about us holding up an unnecessary and an unattainable standard. But, Father, at the same time, I know that we can be found like this manager to realize that we have been more asleep than we should be, that we've been less faithful than we've been called to be. And Lord, for all of us in this room this morning, that's something only known to our hearts and to you. So Lord, in the gentle, graceful nudging of the Holy Spirit to call us into wisdom, into shrewdness, into faithfulness in the time that we have left, in the resources that we've been blessed with, in the efforts and the energies of our heart. Father, today as you would lead and as you would compel us by your Spirit, we just ask that we could see and hear and respond. So Father, however you would use your word in our hearts today, we ask that you draw us to take hold of the Lord Jesus' hand and that our other hand could loosen its grip more and more on things that are temporal. So Father, use this for your glory, your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.